0: ChristianBeekCentral.com.
1: episode 513 (laughs) warning access restricted please submit to dna verification processing verification complete access granted welcome (laughs) And welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more info about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com. Ooh, early in the morning again as I'm recording this. Um, I modified that intro a little bit, trying to see if I can make it just a little bit more concise, flow a little bit better. So uh, hopefully that is working in your ears, if you even notice the difference. On the show today, a review of the sci-fi classic Fire in the Sky. And a look at the free, kind of lunch break JRPG I've heard it described as adventure quest as we continue celebrating the summer of free plus a review of the star wars audiobook ahsoka if i'm pronouncing that right and a look at how intelligent geeks can still end up destroying themselves as we continue in the book of proverbs all right lots to do let's get to it rejoice ye penny-pinching nerds rejoice for this is a season unbound by our bank accounts, unfettered by fees. A legendary age of liberty, this is the Summer of free. This time over at tubitv.com, tubi com, uh, right now anyway, you can watch Fire in the Sky, the classic alien abduction movie that was released in 1993. The synopsis I actually modified it a little bit because I think it potentially spoils a little bit. But the way I would synopsize it with the help of IMDb would be an Arizona, Arizona, excuse me. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I I'm live right here in Mesa, Arizona. I should have gotten that right. An Arizona logger mysteriously disappears after an alleged encounter with a flying saucer in 1975. His friends, who claim to have witnessed the event, are subject to interrogation by authorities as they are suspected of his murder. Uh, now, talking a little bit about the tone, the story, the pacing. When I originally saw this movie in, I didn't see it right when it came out, but maybe a couple years after that. Uh, for me, at the time, for the kinds of things I was interested in watching at the time, uh, it was it wasn't super interesting. It kind of really picked up at little burst, you know, bursting moments here and there. There's a great sequence at the end that was really cool and uh, intense, but it was it was kind of slow for me at the time. But as the decades <laughs> have progressed, I've become a lot more interested in character-driven stories in both TV and movies. And so when I revisited this one, I was really pleased to discover that I think I might have gotten more out of it this time than I did, even when I originally enjoyed it uh, sometime in the 90s. It's best enjoyed, I think, if you go in expecting a drama with an alien abduction theme, rather than a sci-fi movie, and since some of the tension of the movie hangs on wondering whether or not the flashbacks of the abduction events are real or just kind of a a cover story, um, I won't say more than that about the nature of what kind of movie this is. It's a serious uh, character-driven movie, and the drama comes really from watching different Everyday personality types react to an incredibly unusual and unbelievable situation. Whether or not the movie treats the abduction as real or not, I'll leave for you to find out. But the drama, either way, hangs on people dealing with suspicion, with disbelief, um and the threat of very serious accusations um, the cast includes numerous familiar faces some of which we don't see very much of anymore so it was kind of like oh yeah I remember that face and that face and that face or that name or whatever including Robert Patrick not long after he played the T-1000 in Terminator 2 Judgment Day I thought all the actors in this movie really did a great job in their roles and they kept the movie feeling very grounded and uh, emotionally and psychologically real something that I uh, appreciate a lot more now than I did when I first saw the movie in the '90s. As far as the stunts and visuals, the uh, the flashback sequences, though brief uh, for most of the movie, also have. Uh, I mean, they, they, they've they've got some great unsettling designs the the portrayal of the aliens in particular though not as striking to me now as when the movie released you know in the 90s was still very creepy to me and how they portrayed the concept of uh, abduction and what was done to you know this person and stuff um really creepy and wonderfully realized visually i think the movie is largely pre-cg but it's really at that stage that place in movie making, like just before CG was really becoming mainstream. I mean, it's post Terminator 2, it's post. Uh, Jurassic Park But I mean That wasn't the norm Those were like the movies That were really At the time Pushing the boundaries So this was still Effectively in a Pre-CG era Of movie making um, But you know With with uh, Practical effects That are about As modern as they get And I would say That practical effects Haven't advanced Very much Since this movie So it really it Is in the stride Of practical effects uh, the, the status quo Of them in Hollywood so, um, so And I think That the visuals In this movie Really really age well because of that compared to some other movie that you know even looking at some moments in terminator 2 these days i'm like boy yeah cg has moved forward you know um I don't always comment on music and sound. I will this time. The one thing that dated the movie for me was the score, which now and then sounded to me kind of melodramatic or maybe like a 90s TV drama. But the score is used sparingly, or at least those kinds of score moments uh, were, were pretty infrequent. So it wasn't like this ongoing issue, just something that I noticed. Um, okay, so... Is there anything of moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in this movie that might stimulate worthwhile thought or conversation? That's a question I always try to ask myself. And I think um, there was, like, potentially uh, an issue I, wa- I was like, should I, should I go off on that course or that course, because they, there was just a little bit of um, religion represented in the movie, and I thought it was interesting how they represented it, but there's some caveats and just some exceptions to the normal rules of how religious people are represented that I, I, I don't want to go down that path. Instead, I'm going to go down the more predictable, obvious path of UFOs. What should we make of UFOs and and abduction stories? Well, I think the first thing that we should do as as believers is dispel the false idea that the existence of aliens would somehow prove that the Bible is not the Word of God. Some Christians might say that since the Bible doesn't mention aliens in any of the creation accounts or, you know, or or elsewhere that because of that it it and because it also teaches the unique value of human life the unique significance of human life that therefore intelligent aliens can't possibly possibly exist and alien c- encounters that people talk about should uh, always be assumed to be either fabrications or encounters with demons uh, so that is like a a line of thinking that is out there maybe that's where you're coming from um, on the other side some of those who believe in intelligent alien life might also try to read between the lines of Scripture, and show that the Bible actually does refer to alien life. They'll take passages from Ezekiel and stuff like that, not taking into account at all the genre of writing, the the cultural setting, and any of that. They're just like, oh yeah, this was probably some you know <laughs> primitive you know rock thumper that was just like, hey, this is crazy, you know, and didn't know what he was seeing and stuff like that. But, you know, the, there's no appreciation for really the, the 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 history and the the language there. So uh, I, I think either one of those positions is kind of like. Uh, doing things with the text or taking things from the text that aren't meant to be there, that aren't being said by the text. The truth is that apart from angels and demons, which are arguably extra-dimensional life rather than really extraterrestrial life, apart from those exceptions, the Bible is actually silent on the subject of extraterrestrial life. It doesn't confirm or deny its existence. I know that sometimes people will want to look at the Bible and and try to make it do one of those, either confirm extraterrestrial life or deny extraterrestrial life. I think, as believers, when it comes to all matters of Scripture, we need to get more comfortable with saying, you know what? The Scripture is not conclusive on this, so I need to... I can lean in a direction, but at the end of the day, This isn't something I can be dogmatic about because scripture isn't really clear and dogmatic about it. So the second thing to remember, I think, is that since these events, alien abduction uh, events, stories, things like that, happen unrepeatably, without warning, and with only disputable evidence because of that they have to be investigated with a tightly logical approach since we don't have like an observation approach that's you know a first hand observation approach that's really available to us um, so instead we have to tightly apply rules of logic and reason when we're evaluating the evidence it's dangerous to believe in something merely because it is possible and when it comes to uh, alien stories you know abduction stories UFOs and, uh, or near death experiences a lot of times you can hear that Word possible get thrown into discussion well it's possible that da da Instead, really, we we while we might not be able to prove everything we believe in life, our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. What is it most reasonable to believe? Even if we don't have absolute proof for it, what is most reasonable to believe about a certain issue, given the available evidence? Uh, regarding UFOs, I think it's important to remember the unidentified part of that acronym. Um... And each sighting should be evaluated on just a case-by-case basis. The problem is that, like those about near-death experiences, most websites dealing with this topic and writings, books on this topic that collect stories about these mysterious events only include basic information about each case. uh, With maybe some footnotes that you can go chase down, but, you know, I would say most people that are reading those books aren't really chasing down and verifying all these stories, and so what you have at the end of the day is this collection of stories with uh, only selective details represented that can make a cumulative case sound much more impressive and solid. Um, So where do I personally stand on the issue of uh, UFOs and alien abduction? I guess I'd answer that by saying, well, which situation, which case Are we talking about? Because they don't all necessarily have the same explanation. A given abduction scenario could be a hoax. It could be an interaction with one of the biblically described extra-dimensional beings. Uh, It could be an encounter with a real extraterrestrial. It could be some kind of medical mental issue on the part of the witness to the event. Um, Now, biblically speaking, if I'm just looking on that angle... I would say I doubt any of uh, these stories of encounters with extraterrestrial life are encounters with what we traditionally think of as physical, extraterrestrial, intelligent life. And that's because of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which in the ESV says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Uh, Now it seems to be the case that, based on this verse, that scripture contains everything we need to know in order to be equipped for every potential good work. It tells us how to treat other humans, and to a lesser degree how to treat animal life. It even arguably includes models for how we should interact with angels and demons if that situation should ever happen but it is silent on how we are to treat any potential life from other planets because it never mentions life from other planets. So if I met an extraterrestrial, I would feel unequipped by scripture in knowing my moral duty with them. Uh, This leads me to conclude that if there is extraterrestrial life, we won't interact with it until after we've been fully remade and rescued from our sinful tendencies as Christ has promised to those who put their trust in him. Um, and honestly, that sounds like the best plan <laughs> for the sake of any alien life that might be out there. We don't need to be bringing our mess into their potentially good situation or whatever they got going on. Um, but if it could be proven that intelligent alien life exists that we could have interaction with well, then I still might be convinced that our moral duties in that case could be derived from how we are to treat other created life on Earth. So, both biblically speaking and from an evidential standpoint, I'm very doubtful that intelligent alien life exists that we could uh, potentially have interaction with right now, but I'm still open to being persuaded by good evidence and sound reasoning. Uh, Alright, that's all I've got to say about that. Other than that it is a uh, rated PG-13 for sci-fi violence. I want to talk to you about Adventure Quest at battleon.com as a potential video game option that won't cost you anything. Um, I created my account for this game originally way back in 2005. That's like, man, that was a year before I launched Spirit Blade Productions. And I last played the game in 2015. Uh, And then I picked it up again to revisit for this Summer of Free segment, now we did feature its spin-off Adventure Quest Worlds a few years ago as part of the Summer of Free, but this is the original game that that one uh was an offshoot from. It's a flash-based game played in your browser through a free account that doesn't require any kind of download. It's basically the, the distilled essence of the classic turn-based JRPG. You've got a side view of your character and the monsters you fight and you exchange attacks back and forth until one of you is dead, usually the monster. Combat starts out being very simple, just attacking back and forth and deciding when you're going to drink a potion or whatever. Um... But with multiple skills, spells, classes to unlock, as well as pets and allies to recruit, it definitely gains complexity. The strategy usually revolves around looking at the monster's stats, which includes their elemental strengths and weaknesses. That's probably the biggest issue. And then choosing the approach that will be most Effective in combating them You're going to be keeping an eye on your health On your mana totals And figuring out how far you can stretch Your limited number of precious Health and mana potions Um, And and for me it's that that Limitation, that push your Economical luck gameplay That makes combat in this game Satisfying despite its simplicity Uh, That and the pleasure of using The coin that you earn to get new Weapons and other upgrades It's never like a brain burning game or a punishingly difficult game, I find it just complex enough to be a fun little diversion. There are both story quests that uh, have you taking on multiple consecutive battles uh, in sequence um, that you have to do all in once in a, in a single sitting in order to complete the quest. but there's also the option to take on short random battles anytime from that very first load screen. So this is a uh, a great option I think as either a quick diversion for sixty seconds at a time during you know your lunch break or potentially even as your dedicated game for an entire evening. Although quests do involve branching paths and text some simple text-driven cutscenes with, you know, you know, some choices now and then, there's no exploration in this game apart from choosing a quest on the overworld map maybe. After that any story or or choices play out on that same screen that you do battle on. So again, this is super streamlined. It's not about exploration. It's not about really interacting with other characters and making choices and story and stuff like that. It's about turn-based JRPG combat with upgrading in between. And because it's so streamlined, it's easy to pick up and play as either a new player or as one returning after uh, a long time away. Uh, There's almost no chance of being lost and trying to remember where you left off in the story. Uh, or, what you're supposed to do next. That's something I just hate about classic JRPGs. You know, modern RPGs have like waypoints built into the map so you remember like where you left off and what you need to do next, even if it's been three months since the last time you picked it up. This game, you really don't have to worry about that. You just, you know, fire it up anytime and you're right back into it. Um, it it's been since 2015 that I played this game and I fired it up. I was like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, how to do this. This is pretty simple. Um, quests are our numerous. But they're also easily digestible, and you can, uh, like I said, also just opt to do random battles that are adjusted to your level. Uh, And with new events and content being added or seasonally rotated in and out, uh, I find that the variety is really nice. The visuals are simple, you know, it's a Flash-based game, and yet it includes some cool... Character and creature designs Some are surprisingly dark or creative looking for such an otherwise cartoony looking game And even though the game is old I could tell it had received some nice little visual upgrades when I logged in for this review The attacks and spells all come with sound effects uh You know, not the highest fidelity, but you know, they're still nice But there, there isn't really a score to speak of I, they did have a little one playing very faintly in the background during the tutorial, as I, you know, started a new character this time around. Um, but then it seemed to go away once I got into the, the 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 game proper. But I found the absence of a score in all my time playing it to really be a plus. Uh, because it's this is a great option to play on your PC while listening to a podcast in the background or something. Or like me, you can pop in your own music and make the soundtrack be whatever you want. I mean, for me, I will forever associate this game with the pounding beats of electronic artist Andy Hunter. Now, regarding monetization, you can upgrade your account to Guardian Status for $20. Um, I Guardian Status, I, I don't think it's really worth doing. I don't... I. Doubt anyone would really find it very tempting today. Uh, it gives you access to a few more skills in your class skill trees, but not in a way that like keeps you from advancing. Like for example, say you have you know ten skills uh, in a, in a tree for a certain character, then you would without being a guardian get access to skills one, three, five, seven, and nine. Um, so you're still able to advance and become more powerful. Uh, you just don't have as many maybe. Customization options in terms of what skills, specific skills you want to choose as you advance, but it's not going to prevent you from being powerful enough to continue making your way through the quests and the game and stuff like that. And there is a level cap somewhere above, in like I think 135 is the level cap for a non-paid account, and 165 is uh, the level cap for a uh, for a guardian account. And I. I'm at level my my old character is at level sixty nine I put hours and hours and hours into the game I enjoyed a ton of it um, and I only got to so i didn't even get anywhere near what would have been the level cap for a non paid account um let's see here oh yeah and you also get access to some areas on the world map that are not accessible with a free account, but again there's so many places that you can have access to it's not that big a deal um, there, there's so much content in the game and the perks of guardian status are mostly I think for small conveniences players looking for an old school challenge might even prefer not having the option of a few extra starting potions which you know guardians get at, at login or temporary weapons that you can use and take with you into quests you know I, I i really don't even use those temporary weapons anyway I purchased guardian status in 2005 and it only cost me 5 to 10 dollars I think I would not pay $20 for it today I mostly purchased it at the time for the convenience of not having to wait for space on the server Um, you know sometimes you have to wait to be queued into the server because it's populated and stuff but you might not have to deal with that now with a free account because this game is I think pretty well past its prime in terms of popularity Um, and I didn't I didn't have to deal with any wait time when I was testing out a new free account for this Summer of Free Segments. So depending on time of day, day of week, and stuff like that, you might not have any weight at all getting into this game with a free account. So um, I, I have some really fond memories of playing this game. Early on in our marriage when we would visit Holly's family in Pennsylvania and I didn't want to risk traveling with a game console at the time, this was my vacation game for at least a year or two when we would make periodic trips out to Pennsylvania. I could play it on any PC that had internet access without installing anything or lugging any game hardware around. So uh, if that sounds nice to you and you like old-school JRPG combat and that loot progression, then give Adventure Quest a try by visiting battleon.com.
0: Hi, guys. This is Katja from the Netherlands. Call me Kate on the forums. This week I'm reviewing Ahsoka, a new Star Wars canon novel and, of course, in the audiobook format. By now, I'm pretty much dedicated to the Star Wars Expanded Universe, or rather Star Wars Legends, as it's now called. However, my dedication only grew firm after having tried several works of the new Star Wars canon, as Lucasfilm now publishes it. Among which were two novels, which I both tried in audiobook format. The first was Tarkin, which I recently reviewed on this podcast, And the second novel was Ahsoka, which I'm reviewing today. The novel is written by E.K. Johnston. In audiobook format, it takes seven hours and eight minutes to finish, and is narrated by Ashley Eckstein, who also voices Ahsoka in both animated series. The publisher's summary reads... Fans have long wondered what happened to Ahsoka after she left the Jedi Order near the end of the Clone Wars, and before she reappeared as the mysterious rebel operative Fulcrum in Rebels. Finally, her story will begin to be told. Following her experiences with the Jedi and the devastation of Order 66, Ahsoka is unsure she can be part of a larger whole ever again. But her desire to fight the evils of the Empire and protect those who need it will lead her right to Bail Organa and the Rebel Alliance. My thoughts... The new Star Wars canon novel Ahsoka was high on my wish list, for I'm both a huge Star Wars Clone Wars animated series fan, as well as a Star Wars Rebels fan, also an animated series. Ahsoka Tano, Anakin Skywalker's Padawan, was one of the new characters that were invented specifically for the Star Wars The Clone Wars series, and quickly became a fan favorite. Many viewers who watched the Clone Wars were thrilled to see her return as an adult force wielder in the more recent series Rebels. Many fans, me included, were wondering what happened to her in the years between both series. How did she grow up? Was she still in contact with the Jedi Order or did she maybe return to them? And most importantly, how did she get two colorless white lightsabers? Ahsoka, the novel, promised to answer these questions and more, so I purchased it with anticipation. Of course, the audio effects are awesome. They really add to the story and the feel of the Star Wars universe. However, this novel was clearly aimed at a young adult audience, I think, for it wasn't as exciting nor as deep as I'd hoped. Possibly, this may also be due to purely commercial deliberations by the publisher, Simply wanting to keep on milking the Star Wars cow, so to speak, and making some easy money by throwing the fans a bone with an alluring title. Perhaps this sounds harsh and overly dramatic, but the novel left me with a sense of betrayal. Well, kind of, anyway. I mean, it's only a novel. But it's like with the new Star Wars movies, parts 7 and 8, and even Rogue One. I'm beginning to feel the soul that was in the original Star Wars storylines, including the Lucas-approved expanded universe, has been ripped out by the now Disney-owned Lucas Story Group, leaving me as a fan nothing but some empty shells and no substance. About the only plus about the novel is that it does indeed explain where and how Ahsoka got the two uniquely white lightsabers we know her to have in Star Wars Rebels. so. Hardcore Star Wars fans, be warned and only add this piece of new Star Wars canon to your collection if you're an absolute completist. So thank you for listening, guys. Let me know what you think on the forums or check me out at comicsandgadgets.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening and tot de volgende keer!
1: I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, Postos Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data
0: collection complete. Activating music net 1.0. Just
1: a heads up, the launch for the Spirit Blade Productions Patreon is scheduled right now for Friday... August 10th. Uh, for those who don't know, Patreon is a platform that uh, allows people to support their favorite creators through a fixed monthly donation. There are multiple donation tier options, uh, starting with uh, our Patreon. It's going to be as low as a dollar a month is the is the, the first option. And each of those subscription tiers comes with its own set of rewards. And I've been cooking up some rewards uh, that I think will be a lot of fun, that you guys will enjoy, so I hope you'll stay tuned for more info on that as we get closer to the launch on August 10th. At spiritblade.com our summer sale is still running where you can get any or all parts of our Spiritblade audio drama trilogy for 20% off. For more details of course go to spiritblade.com At youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. A few videos out this week. First, Wisdom Reduces Awkwardness is the title of the Proverbs video that I put out uh, Wednesday this week, and that's the video version of the content you would have heard on the podcast here uh, last week for our Bible study of Proverbs. Uh, Then also, Defining Real Solo Gaming, um, which is just one of several topics that were covered in this video, which is the first hour, part one of of the last live stream that I did, which was themed around my just burning through my backlog of games and also uh game selections based on big announcements that came out of e three so the other kinds of things that came up in this podcast well first, I was going to say podcast stream for the first crazy thing that happened. Which should be no surprise to those of you who know my relationship with technology, namely that there it's it's a rough relationship. <laughs> it's on again, off again over the years. Um, I totally had not started the stream. I mean, like I I was like doing my whole shtick. Uh, and wondering, oh boy, there's it's kind of quiet in the chat. Nobody's talking. There's usually people are talking to me by this point, point. and I got like almost 25 minutes into the chat until somebody messaged me and said, "Hey, I can't see your stream." Oh my gosh! <laughs> so uh, you can see those antics and my totally biffing it uh, during the first hour. I also talk about my favorite. E3 2018 game, share a few thoughts on Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, and also the topic of game preservation came up, which was kind of a surprising, you know, interesting turn. So, uh, anyway, and then, of course, I also talk about how I would define real solo gaming. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, like about an MMO, oh yeah, you can totally solo this. Well, what do you mean by solo? And so I unpack that a little bit and give my thoughts on it. Um, And then... Lastly, you should be able to find my video for the summer of free this week, in which I talk about both fire in the sky and adventure quest, also featured on this. Uh, episode of the podcast of course but uh, you can get uh, video elements that go along with that like the trailer uh, I I plan on at this point uh, inserting the trailer for uh, Fire in the Sky and then also there's a bunch of gameplay footage for Adventure Quest so you can see what both of those things look like if you want again over at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central and while you're there if you would like share subscribe and also hit that notification bell so that you don't miss uh, the next video that comes out all those things any of those things I'd be very grateful Grateful for if you uh, if you did that. Um, Let's see. Oh, at YouTube.com/spiritbladevideos. It's still the same last video that I put up, which is my newsletter in which I talk about uh, Patreon and ask for feedback regarding the rewards. I'm as I'm currently thinking about doing them. Um, I would be very interested in hearing your thoughts on that, and uh, you know, saying that you like or dislike or whatever that doesn't say to well specifically if you say that you like something. I'm not going to be that doesn't commit you to uh, to uh, sponsoring me or whatever you call it at that level, you know, each month. I really just want kind of like your gut reactions to these things, whether you plan on being involved in the Patreon or not. So, again, that video you can find over at youtube.com slash videos, and I would be really grateful for your feedback on that. Um, is that all? That's all about that. All right, let's move on. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or Reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set free. So right now, we're going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the, what I call the churchy language that we can easily take for granted. Digging into history and languages as we're able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Uh, We're not formally trained in scripture, just a couple guys using resources and questioning minds to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do, so I hope you'll do that with us. John Wilkerson from the Christian Geek Central community has been joining me for a conversational series looking at the book of Proverbs. We're still in chapter one, and so I'll just leave it at that and uh, take you to the next part of our conversation here. All right, so let's look at verses 20 through 33 in chapter 1. And in the ESV that reads, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of Yahweh, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Again, pleading there. Anyway, what what are your reactions to that?
2: Well, first of all, it's amazing that wisdom has to cry out. Yeah. because our hearts just we don't want to listen to reason. We want to do what we want to do and the only way that wisdom can get our attention is to cry out. Yeah. And and she has to and, and 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 it's it's out in the street, it's in the markets, it's it's all these places. It's in positions of a position of power, the city gates. Yeah. Everywhere. Uh, it's among the common people it's among people who buy and sell and wisdom is just there just crying out and trying to get our attention and again it shows how it is how wisdom is available to everyone it's it, it's available to the commoner it's available to the business person it's available to the person in the city streets uh, wisdom cries out the fact that solomon is is writing this to his son we're going to see a lot of time. Nearly every time wisdom is mentioned and, and, and personified, it's it's with a woman, but it's the same thing with with sin too, uh, and so. A lot- a lot of times what you'll see is people will look at this and oh you know you're personifying women you know you're 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 being derogatory towards women because yeah. you're they're the example of sin well you're talking to a guy if 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 Solomon had been writing to his daughter he would have called wisdom a man and called sin a man and yeah. and, and and various different things but uh everyone who needs wisdom again wisdom calls out But there's something that's very important is is Solomon writes, you have to turn. You have to turn at my reproof. So when you hear that correction, you actually have to make that turn yourself. The act of um, correcting a person doesn't change them they have to they have to then say okay i'm being corrected i'm being instructed and then make that adjustment themselves Uh, i'm sure you know and and anyone out there who who has kids knows this uh, you sometimes feel like a broken record because it's the same you're saying the same thing over and over to your children and it's because they haven't turned yet yeah you're you're giving them correction but they haven't received that correction and then acted on it yet, um, and so, so that's important. It's it's important to, to turn. It's important to listen. That's another thing that's mentioned in verse twenty four. You've refused to listen, um, and and you you've avoided the hand of wisdom, the the helping hand that that reaches out, and all these things um, that deal with rejecting wisdom, uh, was it Ho- Hosea 8, 7 talks about reaping the whirlwind. And that's mm. exactly what happens. If, if, if you avoid wisdom, if you turn away from wisdom, what do you get? You get this calamity, this disaster that it talks about uh, in, in the end. And it makes it, One of the things that's interesting about wisdom, and and we're going to see it as we go on, is that the more you turn away from wisdom, the harder it becomes for you to perceive it Mm. and find it Mm. and act on it. Um, because wisdom will then start to hide itself from you or rather you're hiding <laughs> in a sense from wisdom. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of, a couple of other action words I, I want to, I want to point out here. Um, when he talks about, um, I got to find it here, uh, exactly which verse, uh, verse 31, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way. Yeah. Um, And so, so eating, as in when he talks, they'll eat and have their fill on their own own devices. So, uh, the idea here being that when you when you eat, you're not actually satisfied with what you're eating. Hmm. Okay, if you turn from wisdom, you're you're not going to be satisfied with. With what you get, and you're going to continue to try and have your fill of your own devices. There, Mm. you're never going to be satisfied. Mm. Um, He talks about the simple are killed by their turning away, Um, and this is kind of related to. You can kind of see a kind of a sense of um, apostasy here. When, when when you're turning away when 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 we talk about uh, apostasy and things like this and then and then reaping he who listens to me uh, um, uh, I think in the new King James version there's a that, one of those verses talks about reaping uh, which is you, you reap the results yeah. um, and so I have a final note here and about wisdom um, so no fear of evil wisdom gives you no fear of evil and and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, Oh, death, where is your sting? Um, there's a lot of talk in Proverbs about uh, foolishness leading to death. And one of the things besides uh, Christ uh, delivering us from death, wisdom as well removes the sting of death in our lives because we're acting in a way that uh, is not self-destructive, hmm. uh, because when we're acting, when 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 we're outside of God's will, we're being self-destructive. We're actually bringing destruction upon ourselves. We're actually bringing death upon ourselves, hmm. and we don't like to think about it that way. Yeah. Um, uh, we're. I think one of one of the church fathers I, I i don't I don't recall who it was, but he talked about sin being an act of uncreation hmm. that that God created something good in us, and when we sin we're 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 actively uncreating what he did in us and bringing about death in our lives hmm. and and that's where kind of wisdom slots in here in this idea of something leading to death hmm. uh, that that's kind of what I keep in the back of my head as, as, I, as I'm reading those verses.
1: I think one, the, one of the first things that jumped out to me, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, verse 22 was really piercing to me when I read it this time. How, uh, how long, will oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge, you know? And I just thought as I, as I, uh, often do as, as I'm preparing, st- you know, studies in the In Search of Truth thing for, the, for the channel and the, uh, podcast about, you know, what, what's the specific parallel or application in maybe a geek culture. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I just realized, you know, there is, there is, a, there is a pleasure in, um, having, uh, in scoffing, there's a pleasure in scoffing. <laughs> There's a pleasure in it, – it gives us a, a perceived position of higher knowledge, you know, um, and that's why I think expressing negative opinions often has more appeal than expressing positive ones. This is something I've certainly seen in myself. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't say, you know, we shouldn't give negative reviews. We shouldn't say when we right. like things, you know, but I think uh, – but this was a check for me, you know, and I'm like, well, I need to at the very least be aware that uh, many times it is easier and there's some kind of little satisfaction that is increased in scoffing at something, Mm. in talking negatively about something, you know, rather than saying that was cool, you know, or that was, oh, I really liked that. That's my favorite thing in the world, you know.
2: Right. I You know, we're seeing a lot of that come out now, especially in the Star Wars community, aren't we? How people sure. are looking at the movies and, and, and instead of just saying, eh, I didn't really like this one, mm-hmm. they're actively going out and just like berating – they're berating the – the actors they're berating the director the studio and they're just finding every negative thing to say well if i had written this movie i'd do it this way you know and and we see that a lot and and even where there's you know, there used to be this whole competition between Star Wars or Star Trek, right? And, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it, you could only like one, but you couldn't like the other. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and I used to, I think, uh, well, I, I, I probably still do every now and then. But I, I know that I used to more contribute to that kind of thing, um, especially before getting on YouTube. I think I was started to be more cognizant of it once, once I got on YouTube and uh, – but, I mean, sometimes I would just let go with something that I was ranting about. I was like, that's just the thing you do if you're, you know, doing reviews on the Internet. You just kind of mm-hmm. rant about things, and it's kind of fun, and people like that, get some of those clicks and whatever, you know. And uh, But, I mean, you know, really, I've tried to really rein that in and just recognizing, you know, like, it's no secret the Marvel movies aren't my thing, you know. But I've I've really tried to, as time has passed on, figure out ways, okay – how can I be honest in sharing my feelings about this, but not beat a dead horse, <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. and, uh, and try. And so, and it takes, it takes creativity sometimes um, for to enter into a conversation where people are talking about something that you just don't like it. And maybe it even irritates you, you know, but you've sure. already expressed that or it's not going to really help foster connection between other people in the, in the circle that you're talking in right now, you know, and so, Um, so I think just kind of like, as I see this, this really piercing, timeless recognition that it is, there's a delight that we can naturally take from scoffing. I'm like, that's a reminder, Peter, that's a check, you know, for the next time that you're, whether you're just hanging out in the, in the coffee, whatever area at church, or you're doing podcast stuff or you're on a forum or whatever, you know, let that be a check. Just realize that, you know, there might be some some pleasure that you're getting out of this that you shouldn't you know
2: yeah and you know some of the most some of the most popular gaming channels are someone going on on there and saying oh look i'm gonna own this guy watch this and uh and that that is what what draws people in and uh, it's just, it's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but it's, it's human nature. It, it, it's funny how that at the same time as humans, we like to see someone excel and, uh, and, and uh, be exalted. And at the same time, <laughs> we like to see someone fail yeah. and get defeated. Yeah. It's just, it's just something primal in us that, that, that does that i mean of, of course it's our sin nature but yeah. it's amazing how it can be just both of those things could exist at the same time and uh you know it's like the whole you know sweet and bitter water that james talks about mm. uh, in, in our hearts and 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 that's
1: just uh it's just the way we are i guess <laughs> um let's see here before we wrap up this chapter the other thing that jumped out at me um Oh, is that, uh, that wisdom is, um, it's preemptive, you know, Mm. um, that like, uh, if we reject wisdom, um, I, I, I don't think we should take from this, you know, some, some people, um, when we talk about the wisdom of God, there are some passages that that arguably are you know talking about Christ as the wisdom of God and stuff I don't think that's what's going on here. I think this is a personification of wisdom, not necessarily a personification of God, um, even though right. you know there are psalms where it talks about God you know laughing at the at the calamity of Israel's enemies and stuff like that and there's you know there's some uh, uh, metaphorical stuff going on there that we can dissect at another time, but I think right now this is just wisdom. As an abstract idea, being personified, and so what? What? I, what I see in this passage is that if we reject wisdom, it might as well be standing on the sidelines and laughing at us for all the help it will give when our choices collapse on top of us. Yeah. Um, because wisdom is preemptive; it has to be embraced in advance for it to bring us blessing in life. You know, we we can still learn things. Uh, the hard way, or decide to repent and embrace wisdom because of the trouble that our our foolish choices, you know, ha- have have caused for us, but th- that will still only help us to avoid further consequences of our foolishness in the future. You know, I mean, the, 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 so it's really it doesn't it doesn't reverse the damage that's already done. If we if we want to experience the blessing of wisdom, it's got to be preemptively applied.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Incoming transmission. Hey, Peter, it's John Wilkerson. First, I want to say to Adam and Louise, thanks for your comments. I really appreciate them. I enjoy studying the Bible, and I enjoy discussing it even more. So I'm glad that you're getting something out of it. And, Peter, you brought something out that I didn't really think about, is how many people contribute to this podcast. And... You know Matt and Kim, Winston, who has contributed sections. I think Luis has even contributed something. Katya, I love Katya's audiobook reviews, and I I just have to say everyone I know. I, I can't mention everybody who's who's ever contributed because I can't think of everyone right now. But those are the ones that come immediately to mind. So thank you for contributing to this podcast for being part of this community and for being stuck in my ears as I drive down the road or I'm mowing the lawn or whatever the case may be. I really appreciate it, everyone.
1: Thanks. God bless. Thanks for that, John. Um, again, it's really cool for me to put this show together, you guys. Usually, it's usually the last thing that I do on a Friday. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm recording early in the morning. Um, this time on, on Friday, but uh, I'll likely be editing this together closer to the, uh, the end of the day. And it's a really satisfying way to end my week. Even if the week has felt maybe frustrating or unproductive in some ways, getting this show, like packaged stitched together out the door it feels like getting something of value done and you guys add so much value to this show with your submissions which makes it all the more gratifying for me when I uh, put it all together and get it out there for everyone to hear so uh, thank you again very much Uh, feedback, guys. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and as useful as we can, but I've got to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com. And by the way, just sending me a little message, that's one way that you could uh, add some element to the show or treat... Some conversation uh, without having to, you know, send in a submission, uh, you know, for some kind of like segment or something like that. I really love the opportunities that come up to talk about whatever, to react to whatever as you guys send me uh, your feedback, your thoughts, your questions, or whatever. So, uh, anyway, yeah, again, P A E T E R at Spiritblade.com. And as a reminder, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities like Christian Geek Central are a good supplement, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. I was just talking to somebody uh, yesterday, my kind of like, uh, I guess you'd call it a discipleship buddy or something. Uh, we've been meeting uh, about once a week now for the last five to six months maybe? Anyway, um, yeah, I was just talking to him about how much I really value uh, this particular part of the church that involves this, these one-on-one relationships. I am very much an introvert, as I uh, think probably a number of you guys are, and so you know, as much as I'm, you know, getting on the podcast and elsewhere and saying, "Hey, plug into the local church. That's where it that. That's where it's at. That's the vision of the New Testament." You know, um, I'm not necessarily having in mind like getting involved in some kind of a program or so, I I don't have a particular idea in mind, so if you're thinking, ugh, I don't want to go to the men's Bible study, that's lame, you know, or I don't want to do this certain program that's going on at church or whatever, that's lame, you know. uh, Getting plugged in and connected with a local church community can look like so many different things, and actually when I think about what I value most about my connection to my local church, it really isn't like serving in the worship team or the years that I spent serving as a volunteer in the uh, the, the college 20s group. I, I do value those things. But I think about, um, like, my study mentor, uh, Dave Lindstrom, who, I, who I've been meeting with for over 10 years now. Uh, and we get together about once every three weeks. And he's one of the elders on our church board and is uh, really familiar with... Uh, uh, he just knows the bible really well is fluent in greek and hebrew and it's just uh, it's just been a wonderful resource and mentor for me and i met him through the local church through getting connected and getting to know people in the local church years and years ago you know um and now my current discipleship buddy Alan is his name um i i again i met him through well through actually uh his wife is our worship pastor and so he's often involved in the worship ministry as well and so we've connected you know and rubbed elbows that way and stuff and uh and I just realized this is a guy that I would like to spend time kind of connecting with and uh uh and just kind of helping each other you know grow and and figure out life and stuff and and so these are you know if if you if you're better with like one-on-one th- situations you know uh, that's what connections in the local church can look like too. But it starts with going to the campus of the church And just being there consistently, rubbing elbows with people, looking for opportunities, maybe in some of those less, you know, ideal environments and situations and programs or whatever, but that's where you can get connected to people and then you can kind of zoom into maybe something that would be more up your alley, like a one-on-one type situation. So um, all that to say, whether it's one-on-one or a group setting or something else, connection, involvement in a local church Family can look like all kinds of different things, but uh, I really do believe it is vital, as I've said a number of times before, the context for almost everything in the New Testament uh, that we're taught in terms of how to live this life in its fullness and to live in our purpose and freedom and 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 our growth and maturity—all those things—the um, context for all of that is is serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church so again whether you're in a church that just kind of lacks Bible based intentionality or not attending any church at all if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible oriented church I want to do that you can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and uh, we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together at least as a start Uh, All right, that's about it guys I want to thank Katja from the Netherlands and John Wilkerson for their help with the the show today thank you so much guys uh, stay tuned for DS9 shawarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning as a reminder you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the spirit blade underground podcast at spiritblade.com next week if god allows it I'll share a review of the movie Alita Battle Angel And some more interesting thoughts and opinions from our friends at Speculative Faith as well. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by uh, purchasing an audio drama or leaving a donation. You can get more information from our About page at spiritblade.com. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of
0: Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information
1: about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Wormhole. The Dominion has endured for two thousand years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumpled into dust. Five years ago
2: no one had ever heard Bejor or Deep Space Nine and now. All our hopes rest here.
3: And that was ties of blood and water. Um, yeah, Deep Space Nine does love its long, verbose titles, doesn't it? Uh, if you remember all the way back in Season 2, with Second Skin, when Kira was kidnapped and made to look like a Cardassian, and basically used to set up a Cardassian rebel, uh, by being posed as her daughter, all that sort of thing. This is basically the sequel to that, the follow-up, although only vaguely connected. Um... This is a mixed episode because, on one hand, there's some very, very strong and interesting and even important elements, but there's some heavy-handedness and there's some bad pacing. I would say it's definitely got a a lot more strong than weak to it, but it's certainly not like in one of the top-tier levels, uh, episodes. I'd say it's right near the upper end of the average range. Um, if you remember Tekkenny Gamor, he was the the rebel who Kira was uh set tried they used her to set him up. Um, ever since uh this is the first time we're gonna see Cardassia since a few episodes ago when Ducat changed everything by uh signing Cardassia over the Dominion, changing it now their Dominion Protectorate and all that sort of thing. Uh and so Gamor was part of the civilian government, if you remember back in the beginning of Season 4 when the Klingons attacked Cardassia because the, Cl- the civilians had taken over. And, of course, Gamor, being the head of the civilian government, was the head of Cardassia. So now he's in exile, and he comes to the station. And here's where it gets a little slow at first because it's about Kira getting, you know, Gamor and Gamor, and there's a lot of talking, and, you know, they, they act like there's been this great bond between them, but we haven't really, they've never mentioned, Kira's never mentioned Gamor, um, you know, so it doesn't really, you, you don't buy that they have this deep bond, you buy that they like each other and care for each other and all that, they have this experience together, but, you know, they each kind of see each other as a foster father-slash-daughter because they both lost a father-slash-daughter, and they mention that, that's another thing, this episode, this episode sets things up, but then it explains everything, and it's got that frustrating element, it's like, give your audience a little bit more credit, they, they keep saying things very obviously. And the story's there, they just need to take their hands a little more off of it. Turns out is dying, and Kira is being put in charge, because Cardassians have what SF Debris calls a very, very sad tradition, and I agree. The tradition that, when a Cardassian of any note or significance dies, they pass their secrets and enemies list on to their successors. That is so sad. It's just, you know, the things we can't say, we never say when we're alive is kill this man. And, but still, Gamora has amazing knowledge of Cardassia. And it's going to be it's going to be like sending dozens of spies into Cardassia and getting out of there. It's amazing intelligence. So, of course, Kira feels obligated to do it. And she feels very uncomfortable. Well, who wouldn't be uncomfortable uh, watching someone that they care about slowly die? But then we start getting some flashbacks of Kira. Back to when her father died and what happened. And I won't ruin what happens. Um, But there's a lot of meaning here. And if there's any strength to this episode, it is probably that Nana Visitor, the woman who plays Kira, she is really doing a good job selling these emotions. She's feeling... She goes through just about all the emotions you could feel. And she's believable in all of them. She is a very good actor. And she handles this well... I only wish that it wasn't written to just sum everything up. At the very end, she sums everything up that we've already seen, and it takes away any chance of subtlety or appreciating your own angle on it. Uh, there's a subplot where Ducat comes into Deep Space Nine. He's trying to get Gamorre, custody of Gamorre, before Gamorre gives the information. Very straightforward there. But, of course, he has to do it in the smarmy political way, because you know, they don't They don't have the means to fight Deep Space Nine, they don't have any legal foothold, so he's trying to do the intimidation factor. But most interesting is we see, if you remember how the Dominion works, you have the founders at the top, the shapeshifters, then you have their genetically enhanced soldiers that are just like basically, you know, a step away from being clones, uh, and then in between they have the Vorta, who are their administrators and bureaucrats and... You know, all that, diplomats, all that kind of thing. The, they're the carrot part. They're the they're the ones who come and make the political deals with you and smile to your face while they get a knife ready to stab you in the back. And so Dukat has a Vorda handler, and he will be Dukat's handler for the rest of the time we see him until a major shift next season. And that handler is Weyoun. If you remember, Weyoun was the Vorda who... Uh, teamed up with the Deep Space Nine crew briefly in "To the Death" in season four, and then was killed at the end. And we find out Vorta reproduced by cloning every time they just activate the next clone. So this is this is Wayun four, I believe, uh, maybe Wayun five. I don't remember the exact number. But so there's that interesting thing, and we get to know Wayun, and Wayun is very interesting, and we'll get to know him a lot more. And the, this is really, even though it's his second episode as Wayun. Counting his clone, uh, this is really his premiere in a sense, where we see he really is like a, a high level, you just find him very interesting because he's, you can't trust Yoon, but at the same time, he's got a likability and a charm to him. The fact that Jeffrey Combs is playing him, and Jeffrey Combs just really has this quality about him that's slimy and likable at the same time. It's a very hard thing to pull off, and he pulls it off consistently. If you ever watched uh, the Justice League animated show, he was the voice of the question to give you an idea. The same idea that he could be kind of slimy and untrustworthy and still likable at the same time. It's a weird mix that I've never seen anyone else pull off the way Jeffrey Combs does. So, yeah, we get to know a little bit more about the Dominion inner politics of Dukat and Wayun, And that will come to play a lot more in upcoming episodes. So this is just a teaser. And then the Kira story, which again is not bad. I just wish it wasn't so heavy-handed with how, you know, tell you what this whole story is. Because there's a very interesting parallel with Kira's own father. And it's clear enough just to watch it. And you don't need to have the very end. You know, there was a scene where she's talking with Dr. Bashir, also showing how much Bashir has grown, that Bashir is the calm, mature presence. And it's just very frustrating because... They could have ended on this one line but then they just go on and on and she just says and here's the theme of the episode and then this and then I also felt that this symbolizes this and but still it ends on a high note with a nice another great parallel a visual parallel to what you've seen earlier and overall it's a good episode so I definitely check this one out it's not absolutely necessary but it does tie into future events and past events so it's good for wrapping up the Takeni Gamora plot line such as it was. See you next time for a big dive down with Ferengi Love Songs.